Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's on the lighter side of baseball is on the podcast. And uh, today we again are doing a Sunday COVID-19 broadcast to give everybody a little shot at doing something uh, besides, uh, you know, whatever it is you're doing at home, give you a little break. And again, we're lucky to have one of the voices of the Milwaukee Brewers, Mr. Craig Kashan, on the podcast again. Hey, man, how are you doing? I'm doing well, hanging in there with everybody else, my friend. How about you? I'm doing good, and I think uh, I think everything seems to be recording. Uh, just to explain to everybody, Craig is kind of the pioneer of on the lighter side of baseball podcasting. Craig and I, about a year ago, coming up on a year ago, did um, our first live interview of anybody uh, from Nellie's Corner at Miller Park, and that was with uh, a phone. And then uh, last week, we had Craig call in, and I was uh, in the studio of On the Lighter Side of Baseball, and that worked out great. And today we're doing it. Uh, Craig and I got together, talked a little bit about uh, upgrading our capabilities, and uh, here we are on Zoom. What do you think? I think, uh, I think Zoom is, is the way to communicate through coronavirus, my friend. It seems to be the go-to uh, with the media, I think with uh, just personalizing with people. So I'm, I'm liking what's going on right now. I think we're going to have a good show and it's going to be high quality and that'd be great for everyone who's listening. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be great and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get it into the format that uh, my production staff <laughs> can, can uh, put this out <laughs> on the waves. <laughs> we can only hope so. <laughs> hey, you know, when, when we start the show, they play the song that the organist of Comiskey Park used to play every time the White Sox took the field. They'd play Chicago, that title in town. Got me thinking, is there a song for Milwaukee? <laughs> oh, besides the beer barrel polka? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, roll out the barrel, brother. That's awesome. Yep. For sure. They, uh, they don't play that when they come on the field, but of course they, uh, it's part of the seventh inning stretch and, and it's, uh, it's been a long time tradition. And boy, I tell you back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, uh, old County stadium was rocking big when, when that would go and the big crowd and stuff, it was a lot of fun, but it, uh, sure made sense for the, for the nickname of the brewers. That it did. And I tell you what, it, uh, even as a cub fan at Miller park, in the seventh inning, after they sing a poor attempt to duplicate Harry Carey and take me out to the ball game, they rock with "Roll Out the Barrel." So I got to give yeah. credit where credit is due. <laughs> kind of wimpy on the seventh inning stretch until the barrel gets rolled out. I don't know, man. I tell you, we 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 do enjoy we do enjoy uh, "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." Though there's, I tell you, for those of us who remember uh, the tradition of uh wrigley field and harry carry and stuff i i truly because i'm a traditionalist and in a sentimental way i i think that i always thought that was a very very cool thing that they did and uh continue to do so i'm okay with all that i am too I, anywhere they do it the royals do it too and and uh, i would rank the royals in third place behind the cubs and the brewers there you go there you go i'll hey, take it um the other thing that that I was thinking about before we get too far down down the uh, down the podcast, and that is, what are you doing to uh, occupy time? And as a as a um, parenthetical 
folks. Let me tell you, I'm a Cub fan. Obviously, Craig works for the Brewers and is a loyal from the beginning of the franchise history. But on Craig's Instagram, and I'll give your Instagram a plug, and you can give us the handle if you'd like or, or not. There's Craig playing darts with his kids at home. And what's the target? The bullseye is the Cubs logo. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, 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 you know, that's the artwork that goes on in the house. So, you know, you, you, you start by beating up your enemy from the inside out, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> no, we had, uh, we had a lot of fun. We, we did a, a video um, basically just shows about, actually it was, it was last Sunday. I think we did it right after we, I did the podcast with you. And, um, you know, basically with everybody home, you know, there's curiosity, what's everybody doing? So, um, we shared our, our two minutes worth and, um, you know, we, we actually, um, Christmas Eve and Christmas day, we get these, um, sports games, you know, and it can be, it can be darts, uh, any target, uh, ski ball, whatever, whatever it may be. And, um, and then we pretty much wear them out over that 24 hours over Christmas. And then they're, they're put away kind of for life, but we got them out last Sunday and, uh, as a necessity to keep all of us sane and to, to buy the time. And, um, so we did, we did a bunch of those, put a little video together. Uh, my wife was going to the, was, had a plan on um, baking some homemade bread, but all the stores were out of yeast as part of the products that they, a lot of stores have been out of various things as we, as we know. So she actually ended up uh, making a pumpkin pie in March, which is probably not seasonal, but it sure to heck was good. And then uh, my dog stole the show at the end of the video because uh, he likes to steal things, uh, little gaming balls, whatever it is. And we had a, like a hockey puck game going and he stole one of the pucks. And the only thing my dog Buster knows is to drop when we tell him to drop whatever he's got in his mouth. Yeah. And so he did at the end of the video and stole the show. So that's on, uh, that's on my Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And my handle is real easy. It's Craig Kishan. So if you want to look at it, it's, uh, it's a pretty funny little two-minute video, especially at the very, very end, because our dog stole the show, according to everybody who watched. Oh, uh, that's great. And kudos to your wife, uh, because she's the one that gave us a little technological assistance on coming up with uh, <laughs> this ability to record on Zoom. She's, uh, her name is Pam IT Kashan. So there you go. She's, there you go. No, she's, her, uh, she's very good. She's adventurous. So nothing, nothing, uh, uh, scares her away. That's for sure. Well, and she told me that she used zoom to record a segment for her TV show. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, she, she, um, does, uh, segments for the NBC in Madison, uh, the NBC TV affiliate, uh, WMTV. And um, she's been doing this for many, many years. She, she used to have a show that was on the great television networks across the country called Moms Every Day. Yeah. And uh, as part of life, you know, uh, they decided at a certain point a couple of years ago to, to cancel that. And, um, but they kept some of a smaller version uh, within some newscasts and, and news minutes here in Madison. So that's what she does. And, um, it's a full-time job for her and she really enjoys it. She's been in TV all her life. And, and, um, 
So she um, is somebody that will say, well, what can I do to, to make things uh, better or uh, the technology end of it and keep up with things? And so she found the, uh, Zoom, which we're doing our, our podcast on now and, and got us set up for because she had to do some similar things on the video end uh, earlier this week. And uh, right now, because of uh, coronavirus, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of people in news business aren't aren't venturing out because companies don't want them coming in their doors to do interviews. So uh, the video uh, virtual of that is is um, something we're seeing a lot more on on newscasts right now. So that that's that's what she's doing. Well, that's good. Hey, did you hear that uh, phone ring? <clears throat> I did. Hey, that was a caller calling in from uh, from Maui. <laughs> Here today, gone to Maui. Can you believe it? We're reaching out all across the globe. He wanted to know how the weather was in in Madison. I told him to tune into the uh, podcast and he'd hear a weather report from Craig Kashan later. We're One having word. great weather here. One word, crappy. Crappy. We're, we have had, you know, we're never here in April because I'm, you know, following the Cubs and trying to find you at Miller Park and uh, so this is kind of a first for, for me for a long time. And uh, boy, oh boy, Craig, I hate to tell you, but the weather has just been spectacular here. And, you know, people may be uh, staying at home, but they're not staying away from the golf courses here. I've never well, seen these golf courses. Tell you what, man, you're, you're lucky because the, the golf courses up in Wisconsin were forced to close amid this stay-at-home yeah. order that we're, we're in right now. And it... Um, you know, a lot of people don't like it because I, th- I think uh, a lot of people obviously leave their home. They go on walks, they go on bike rides. The state parks are still open and a lot of people can't figure out, you know, why can't a golf course be open? Uh, probably pretty easy with social distancing, but they're not. And that's too bad. And, you know, the weather's going to turn nice here really quickly. And a lot of people are going to be leaving their homes. And um, I, I personally, I think bottom line, no matter what, the weather just needs to get better for for us to all um, continue to accept this isolation that right now there's no end in sight of as we're still in the month of March. We still haven't hit April 1st yet as we're recording this. And yeah. um, that's what we need. I mean, you need 60, 65, 70 degrees to, you know, get out. Where I, I worked in the yard the other day. You know, we bundled up and when it was at least dry. I mean, you got to get out and do something, and um, and so that's that's why it's a shame the golf courses aren't aren't open. They open for one day, and then they close. And I think the same thing happened to our neighbors of the south and in, in Illinois as well. I think that that's how I understood it. So it's too bad some of these golf courses aren't open, and they can't figure out something to give some some recreational value and some escape to people right now. No, I think you're right, and and. Illinois, not only they closed the golf courses, but I think the parks are closed. The local municipalities have closed in the suburbs. Some of those parks, yeah, all the trails yeah, are closed. Right. So, yeah. Um, the other thing I've kind of started monitoring was, of course, you and I were supposed to be together in Milwaukee to watch the Cubs and the and the Brewers. Um, game number two was yesterday. I probably would have stuck around for game number three before I headed to Chicago for the opener. And I looked at the weather, and of course the weather doesn't matter in, at Miller Park. It's always 70 degrees and that beautiful – what's the name of the ballpark now? Is it still it's Miller still Park? It's still Miller Park. This will be the final year. How in God's green 
earth. I know we got more serious things going on in this country to worry about, but why? I just don't like naming rights, you know, like how in the world it's going to be an insurance company, right? Yeah, it's going to be American Family Field. Which you guys already did down in Arizona, right? Correct, yeah. They're, they're a Wisconsin-based insurance company, of course, nationally. We all recognize that name, and um, they, they took over the naming rights because the 20-year agreement is, is done here after the, this season, this upcoming season for Miller. And Miller ran into a situation where um, when they merged with Coors, they were Miller Coors. That was their name oh. for many, many years now. I don't even know how far back it goes. And then uh, within the last year, uh, had, well, I don't know when exactly they decided to do this, but they put Molson, which became the parent company of, of both breweries, uh, they put Molson's name on replacing Miller. So the official name of the company is Molson Coors. And they, they uh, also officially put their headquarters in America to Milwaukee. So they did boost the economy with some extra jobs, but their title is no longer Miller Coors, it's Molson Coors. And I think at that time they decided not to put the front naming rights as Miller anymore with, with what they're doing in the future. Um, so that, that had a lot to do with it. And some people are confused by that. You know, what's wrong with the brewers? What are they thinking? You know, what's wrong with Miller? What are they thinking? But it had a lot to do with that. And at the same time, American families stepped forward and, and they've been doing a lot of naming rights, uh, in the state of Wisconsin and, and, um, and nationally for things. And this is their next big step. So that'll start in 2021. It'll be American family field. Well, you got to pay yellow to sorry somehow. I, you mean, do. I understand yeah. Poor, yeah. poor problems. These owners are facing at least with uh, AmFam field. I'm going to call it AmFam field. Although it sure would have been better to be Brockfield, Johnsonville field, Usinger sausage field, Euchre <laughs> stadium, you know, and there are a lot of names. Nobody called me to ask me what I thought, but you know, American family field, look at Reinsdorf and you know, Jerry, they went from Comiskey park to cellular field and now they're guaranteed rate something, but the symbol for guaranteed rate is a giant red arrow pointing downward. So, oh boy, high above uh, what I still call Comiskey Park, and I guess I would call it Comiskey Park South because they built that in the on the other side of the parking lot. Well, actually, they built it almost 300 feet south of um, where the old ballpark was, just across 35th Shield, uh, 35th Street at the corner of Shields. My favorite ballpark in the history of God. I loved it. I mean, you could you could smell the 1919 White Sox there. There was such good tradition in that ballpark. I loved it. And the uh, the food was better. Of course, we had the back then, I'm a big, who's the concessionaire? So I, I, I loved the concessionaire in Milwaukee and the one at Sox Park, although they, they keep, you know, cutting in to sports services, what they do and what they don't do. So, you know, that's me. I like a, a good hot, hot dog. And, uh, a good cold beer as I absolutely well and you know like you said if you can um, you know I, I've been to a lot of old you know stadiums and arenas and ballparks too in my day and there's something about 
smelling that food. Well, it's like going to Wrigley Field it's the same way. You can yeah. smell that food because that odor will be there forever in a good way. It's a, yeah, it's your traditional smell. So, course, yeah. Sports Service, who's not one of our sponsors, but I talk about them all the time, and I, they were our concessionaire when we had the Omaha Royals. So in that league, which was the old American Association, Buffalo, which is the home of Sports Service, but Bob Rich, who owned the Buffalo Bisons and still does, and um, great guy. Bob's just a great guy. But he, he told me the key, and Sports Service agreed, the key back at least in minor league days when the, and when the ballparks were more intimate, you get your guys there at about 9 in the morning and start grilling onions and peppers, and the rest takes care of itself. For sure. That's so true. Because, you know, you've been in the ballparks early enough. I, I get there, you know, four or five hours before the game starts sometimes. And even on the road going to Wrigley, we get there, you know, three or four hours before the game starts. And they're already down there grilling the peppers and the onions and, and getting the yeah. hot dogs and sausages ready to go. You cannot beat that. It just puts you in the best mood ever and can't wait for the game to start. I, I totally agree. And there, there, I can't get to a ballpark too early. You know, my yeah. dad and I used to go out back in the days when they had batting practice, we'd get there at six for an eight o'clock start. And we yeah. watched two hours of BP and infield practice. And my yeah. God, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the value back then was, was greater, I think, than it is now too with BP because everything is, become optional and it's become shorter in time and I think a lot for the home fans too uh their team has already uh, taken batting practice by the time the gates open anymore and it's you know I I think that there are times where you know I'd like to see batting practices actually flip-flopped and and have the road team go first so the some of the home fans can see their guys for an extra 45 minutes or whatever it is I think that'd be great. I think, um, you know, there was, I thought they were going to start doing that. There was some talk about that. Well, they're they're They'd be smart to do that. Uh, they really would because especially for, you know, what's going on now. Cause we, we, we talked about this last week on the show too, Jamie, we don't know what the autograph rules are going to be. The communication right. between fans and players once they get going again, but you know what? If the gates are are open in time for people to watch BP from the stands, if they're not allowed to, you know, go down to the front row and get autographs and stuff and take pictures with the players for, for whatever period of time it might be, they deserve that. They they deserve that as part of the price of their ticket to to see. That's like the only bonus outside of the actual game itself. So I think that'd be great. Well, and and forgetting the current state of what spring training. Uh, became this year with, you know, don't use a fan's pen and then don't, you know, forgetting all that, it seems a pet peeve of mine, and uh, I've talked about this before, is that I think every, all the uniform contracts ought to have in there that you, you know, you're obligated to sign uh, autographs unless you're pitching that day and stay after the game. I mean, it just, you know, they ought to be able to do what Cal Ripken did and that's stick around until everybody gets an autograph. I mean, and it, it ought to be that way. Now, nowadays, you know, you can't read an autograph anyway. Uh, they put their number on there, and I've been going back through some of my baseballs, and I tell you what, they're, they're baseball autographs that I should have been better at figuring out who it was that signed it. 
<laughs> yeah, they get a little, uh, they get a little sloppier. They'll throw like an initial, and then uh, you're lucky to get the number value out of it yeah. anymore. And, and even sure. recognize that. Well, yeah. and the other thing I miss while we're reminiscing is, you know, uh, our good buddy Nelly, man, when he was with the uh, White Sox as a coach, when he was with the Indians as a coach, he was the uh, he was the guy that went out there and and hit, you know, the what I consider infield practice before the game, you know, and God, it was just, you know, cutoffs and relays and uh, double plays. And then the, the guy drops a ball for the catcher to throw a second. I mean, I know you remember those days. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Those days have really gone by the wayside too. They, they work so much in spring training and then they beg off of that. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of teams, if they do anything, they'll, they'll call for some type of a, you know, infield practice or uh, a pitcher's, uh, you know, infield practice and, um, you know, make the infield come in. Uh, but they they might do that, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks. Um, some teams are a little more diligent about doing that. But uh, and then they, they do that, you know. I mean, if you're talking about a home game and you're doing that before your batting practice, you're talking about doing all that practical work like three or four hours before the game actually starts which is so in reverse of how it used to be it used to be the final warm-up before you you, right. you took the field yeah. and i don't know when that disappeared but uh i do remember those days though and and they have gone by the wayside that's yeah, for sure you know, they'd flip-flop batting practice the home team would go first then you know yeah. most people get there see the end of the visitors and then the visitors would stay out on the field take the infield and the last thing that would be done would be infield practice by the home team and uh you know it was just and then you had a two-hour game <laughs> so i guess right. uh, you know everything's different but i'm if this were a video i'm sitting here holding one of my great bits of memorabilia is a fungo bat with the name of our good friend on it it's got uh tape in the sweet spot of the fungo bat tape at the handle although there's about four inches of the bottom missing uh, from Nelly's bat, but uh, that's one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia was one of Nelly's old fungo bats, which, you know, you don't hear fungo too much anymore either. No, no, they've got all the, all the different specialized bats to do various things. And uh, that, that was back when, when you just had to go and, and make something out of something uh, yeah. to put it uh, nicely. And, um, but it all worked for those guys, and yeah. and man, they, they they took that thing wherever they went, from team to team, from season to season, too. That's for sure. Well, I tell you what, I take it you saw some of the communications from the major leagues, and then the agreement with the MLBPA, which must have gone good for the league because Scott Boris is pissed off about the agreement on the service time issues, which I can't figure out. I haven't really read much about it or him but you know he's always moaning about something yeah i think he was uh uh more concerned about the who's going to be playing the game in the future if the draft goes from 40 rounds down to what are they talking about five yeah for this upcoming june or whenever it may take place and then 20 rounds in 2021 um you know i mean I, I, I found that kind of interesting, and I don't know what the system is going to be for the hundreds of other players who, you know, 
could potentially have been drafted and how the free agency part of that's going to open up for guys getting tryouts. I, I'm a little bit confused by that. Um, but, you know, I, I think it might be a work in progress too, Jamie, what, what they're trying to do. But they, they did decide to, to make this draft only five rounds now here for this, for this season, whenever it does begin. But, so that um, gives the Astros one, one pick? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they have any in the first five rounds right now. And like, where is the punishment for the Red Sox? I haven't seen that either. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Yeah, so I don't know. Or or maybe maybe it's been determined for the punishment that you'll start it in the sixth round, but we're not going to have a sixth round this year for all you teams. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's a little it's confusing awesome. though. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I will say it's uh, you know I and. You know, I've done stories on the draft and the preparation, and you know, I've I've always marveled that the they actually do have forty rounds. But you think about it too; this might be a sign of of you know all this talk about some of the minor league teams are going to go away and they're going to pare down the you know the associations and not go as deep uh, in professional baseball and stuff. Um, you know, on the minor league side, so may, maybe this is the initial beginning of that. Um, but I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have a hard time believing that the Players Association would be so agreeable to that in such a hurry um, because it, it would be a really shame if, if we ended up with two minor league teams or just three minor league teams, period, for, for all these major league teams right now. Or if it got to a point where teams like the Yankees or Dodgers or, or the, you know, the wealthier teams could – have as many minor league teams as they wanted, but teams like Milwaukee and Kansas City could only, you know, afford to keep two or three going. I, I don't know where this is going, but it's a little confusing. Well, it is, and you never know with with the uh, MLB whether or not they're serious or they're just trying to negotiate with the uh, minor leagues. But I'm not sure where it's going to end up in terms of cutting down rounds of the draft, and you cut down the need for having these short A leagues. Sure, that right. Be part of their their thought process, but I mean, they were talking about taking the New York Penn League down to like four teams, and um, you know, you've got these short A leagues around that take the minor league guys that aren't good enough to go right into A ball, and uh, I mean, with the what what I consider A ball, which I guess they still call short A, but um, I don't know it it. it it seems to have um, diminished in priorities, I suppose, because they all it all pales in relationship to what's going to happen with this spread of the coronavirus, which is just you know, if we if we measure it from week to week with our uh, podcasts, boy oh boy, I mean it, it's it's really jumping so hopefully the corner will get turned and hopefully we can uh get on with spring training i i did read where the manfred thought they'd need four more weeks of spring training did you, did you see that or did i dream that no i mean it's it's been out there i mean it there's no doubt i mean i, I don't think anything's been decided but i i really you know the more you see what is going to be desired internally in the majors right now look no further than you know than yesterday with the news of 
they want to play as many games as possible, even if that's, you know, uh, at least a doubleheader, if not two doubleheaders a week, uh, waiving the uh, 20 or 21 straight day, need a day off rule and, and going, you know, whatever consecutive days, you know, the calendar will allow. Uh, neutral site games just to get these games and I think they love to get a minimum of 120 games if not more in and if they're going to do that I I can't see them going four weeks of of spring training again I think they're just going to have to increase the roster for at least the first month to they're talking about from 26 to 29 players I'd go, I'd say, you know what? I think we can play ball in two weeks. Let's expand the rosters to 35. Let's just make the first, you know, couple of weeks of the regular season what we normally would have seen in the last week or so of spring training, which is mostly starters, you know, playing and, and um, I should say position players, not starting pitchers. And then because the rosters expanded mostly with extra pitchers, in my opinion, then you're not making your starting, your true starting pitchers go past, you know, maybe two, three innings, four innings in, in their first start or two uh, to get them stretched out properly. So you're not, you know, um, begging for an injury or anything like that. So you do have some backup, at least for the first maybe, you know, month of the season. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, if we're all about getting back to playing games, getting back into the um, entertainment industry, um, and, and keeping, you know, everybody healthy and playing it the smart way. I, I think that is a really good, smart version of that. Yeah, I, I agree. Only if there's a play clock and by play clock, first pitch is at two o'clock and you boys have two and a half hours to finish the game. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'll tell you right now, I, I, I'm if so- they're going to play double headers and stuff and they do this day night double headers. They better not play a, a one in a seven game to me. Start to start their day game at eleven and start your your night game at four. Yeah. You know, give each other a break or whatever it is. But I, I don't see the need to, you know, play deep into the night for game two of this you know, second game of a doubleheader. Well, and the the thing that I was happy about when they changed the uh, <laughs> roster number was getting rid of the forty man roster in um, oh in September was great because you know the number of pitching changes that uh, Francona would make is just crazy. Um, well, I mean, we, we've gone through uh, that in, uh, you know, Milwaukee too. It's been part of the Brewers' success. You know, they, they took right. advantage of the numbers. So, No, Mr. Council doesn't hesitate to go to the bullpen repeatedly. No. To the demise of Cub fans. Um, and speaking of a Royals season ticket holder and a Cubs season ticket holder, I'm not sure – how they're going to make it right with everybody. I don't know how they're going to condense the season. They've got a couple models to go by with the, you know, strike in what, 1991 maybe. And uh, some of those uh, to guide them, but man, oh man, I mean, it, it, and I guess it's all, you know, it's fun to talk about a little bit, although it's also depressing to talk about it. But I mean, the fact that, that I think they're so far away from getting to that point. It's, it just becomes more um, realistic every day that the end is not, not really in sight for the, the country, let alone major league baseball. 
Yeah, I mean, the, there's these are tough these are tough days to swallow. I mean, we're we're talking about. Um, I mean, March 11th, I believe, was the evening the NBA um, basically said that they were suspending the season. And then the rest of the leagues and associations in the next 48 hours all followed. And so here we are. I don't even know what date is, March 29th, that we're recording this. Again, still not into the month of April. And, you know, these last two-plus weeks feel like, like, two to four months if you ask me um how we're going to keep going like this is is um i don't know but i I do know this one one of the talks about when baseball does get back is whatever date they decide to come back they would pick up what schedule that they had laid out for 2020 and pick pick it up from there so they would Wherever any team was or or uh, to start things out evenly, you know, if if the Brewers and Cubs were scheduled to play on June 1st at Wrigley Field, they'd, they'd start there and take their schedule till all the team's schedules till the end of September. And then through the month of October, however long they extend the season, they would they would do kind of a makeup version of what they lost on the on the first couple of months or whoever whatever it turns out to be. So that's, I know that's one of the options they're exploring by saying, Hey, we've already got these games scheduled. Um, let's pick up and, and play the games that are on there. And then if we need to double up so we can get more division games going or whatever it might be, um, they'd go ahead and do that too. So we'll Please. see. It's going to be a monumental task. It's never been done before for anybody. None of us, this is going to be a monumental task, just yeah. getting back to, some form where we feel normal again. And, and I don't envy the people that have a major schedule to put together on top of that. Yeah. I mean, I think they're going to have to tinker with the deal because for example, if, if you took the Cubs schedule and you said, we're going to start on June 1st, uh, that would be a Monday. They'd play the Reds and they'd play one game. Then the Orioles would come in for two games. And then the, the Cubs would go to Cincinnati. So I, I know that you can kind of fine tune everything, but it seems to me based on the, everything the major leagues have been doing for the last few years is that they, it, it would seem to me that they'd want to emphasize the uh, divisional play, but, but you're right. I mean, tickets of our, you know, I've got my tickets. So God, and another talking about, well, Maybe we'll play to no fans, or maybe we'll play, we'll play all the games in a neutral site, the World Series in November at a neutral site. So who knows? I mean, it's all academic. And uh, as somebody, somebody said and, uh, that uh, 2020 has been the longest decade of their life, and I think it will continue to be that way. <laughs> Yeah, and we're three months into it. So, yeah, I, you know, the, you know, the thing about it, though, too, is that the one thing that I do like to hear, and I, I'd rather hear this talk that we're, that we're discussing because it is part of um, the decision-making right now w- with all these sports. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're talking about baseball right now. And, you know, if they're willing to play, you know, and you, you've probably heard this in the last couple of days, if they're – willing to play all the way up to Thanksgiving. If it's a neutral site world series, then they're going to do it. And, 
you know, God bless them for giving it a try. Um, if they can pull it off and make it work, it's not, it's not going to be a forever thing. And if they can do it, you know, and make it happen, um, to continue to provide entertainment and continue to keep people employed. There's a lot of people that aren't working right now. They're, they're parts of all of these teams and franchises. So, um, that, that would be a big, big deal. And, and I think all of this is being taken into consideration, you know, thinking we're going to get healthy again in this country. Right. So, Absolutely. you know, and yeah. Will. But yeah. under that scenario, you could have the World Series, Christmas, and the Super Bowl all within a couple uh, weeks of each other. It'd be great. <laughs> exactly. Get it over exactly. with quick. It seems, like, it seems like a year ago that I watched at – beautiful whatever i can't remember the name of the field in florida where the chiefs won the super bowl it used to be joe robbie stadium now it's uh oh it's um named after the hard, hard rock stadium yeah uh where the chiefs just came from behind to is. win that that great game against the 49ers but uh it seems like forever ago and it seems when you said the uh nba on on march Hello. 11th you know that was like three weeks ago it seems like forever ago. I lost you there, my friend. Are you, you still got me? I do have you. Yeah. And most of it was just me talking anyway, which, you know, my critics stood <laughs> up and let Craig talk. So go ahead. No. Um, yeah. I think all we can do is hope and, and, and uh, pray that things get back to the way they were quote unquote. But in the meantime, Changing the subject to, you know, something at least for a few minutes fun and different from coronavirus and the problems with the schedule. Uh, this is episode number eight. I'm kind of a numbers freak in terms of old-time baseball players and their numbers. Are, are you that way, or do you just kind of not associate a lot of baseball with guys in their uniform numbers? Well, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I used to when I, I have had this opinion that, you know, numbers were truly of, of value to players and, um, and, and fans. And they meant a lot more when you could relate to them. Um, and so here's my take on numbers, which, first of all, I, I always enjoy listening to your you know, once an episode or twice an episode, uh, play the numbers game with, you know, uniform numbers and what they mean to you, you know, based on guys, White Sox, Cubs, whoever they may be, Royals. Um, but my, here's my theory on numbers. I, I used to be a numbers guy, but I'm not anymore. And one of the big reasons is because we don't see numbers uh, that often anymore. We see numbers if players, some guys don't have numbers on the front of their jerseys. So if they're not physically playing on the field and you don't see them a lot, I think numbers right now are kind of a lost item. And, and one of the biggest reasons, especially in baseball, guys are wearing pullover hood sweatshirts more. They're wearing uh, regular pullovers. Um, you, you can't see their numbers anymore. And, um, and guys switching teams and switching their numbers. Uh, you know, when, when Mike Moustakis came over to the Brewers, he played for the Brewers for a season and a half, and he wore two different numbers when he was here. But people loved the guy. So you, you almost look beyond the number itself. He wore 18 when he got here uh, the first half season, and then his second season last year, he wore number 
11. And it's like, you know, can you relate to guys like that anymore? Um, I, I was trying to think the other day what number Prince Fielder wore. He was with Milwaukee for seven right. years. It felt like he was here for 20. He probably should have been here for 20. But, um, but right as soon as he leaves, you know, uh, somebody comes in and they put, put him in uniform number 28, the one that he had wore for seven previous years. So, you know, I, that's kind of – it's an interesting scenario with numbers. I think numbers are – our old school days, um, and now they're not nearly as much. Even Kobe Bryant changed his number twice. You know, in in his he played for twenty years for the Lakers, and he'll always be remembered for eight and twenty four. I think yeah. that's weird and bizarre. You know, it is weird. So, yeah. well, to me, what's really cool about your commentary is, you know, you're a broadcaster. You do play by play, and um, even with a binocular in your hand, for especially in September when the rosters change, the only way sometimes you can tell who the heck the guy is is on the number on his back. But Freaks you're right. right. You know, to me, um, again, this is – I always think about the number of the podcast episode, and this is the eighth podcast of the second season. And so clearly um, – Number eight is the biggest number in my in my love of of numbers that I wore, but more importantly, my heroes Yogi Berra and uh, Carl Yastrzemski. And you know what what better guys to wear number eight? But I'm sure you've got a different number eight uh, in mind. <laughs> well, I know Ryan Braun wears number eight. That's what He's I was on your list. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about old Brian. Who, but you uh, know what? I, I was thinking of his number the other day, too, because he'll be, you know, he'll be, I think, in Brewer history, uh, either fourth or maybe third all time in, in, uh, in tenure, because he'll finish out his career here, I think. I think this, you know, upcoming year may be his last. Maybe he'll go another one. We'll see. But, I mean, he's 36, 37 years old. So, and but anyway, I was thinking number wise. I knew he had a single digit number, and, and yeah. the first one that popped up was six. And I'm like, no, it's not six; it's eight. I don't know. I I just think I just think with um, maybe because I see these numbers more and I see them change more. Um, but I also see certain organizations. Uh, you know, I also do work for the for the Milwaukee Bucks on our broadcast as well and and I look up in the rafters and I think they won one NBA championship in 1971 and they they have almost as many retired numbers as the Boston Celtics and you know I'm just like that just seems to be too much to me to value a number to that great of, of a deal there should be a better criteria to it um yeah. so I don't know it's it, numbers cool, are I a think... really interesting thing I think when I was a kid I think I paid attention to them more than I do now. Yeah. I mean, Cal Ripken, uh, another great number eight. So, I mean, between uh, Yogi and, and Yaz and uh, Ripken, you know, you got three pretty good guys. The other, you know, I just, I keep coming back. I'm, I'm sure my mind works this way. I keep coming back to things that, that fascinate me. And um, one of the things that I've said it before that fascinate me is back when, when I started watching uh, baseball, you, most of the guys you knew without having to hear two names, you know, it was, it was Willie or it was Ted 
or it was Babe or Lou or and not that I watched, not that I watched Babe <laughs> or Lou, but uh, you know Nelly or Louie. To me, Louie, you know Aparicio, number eleven. Somebody came up to me the other day, a good friend of mine, said, you know, my dad cut is a barber, and my dad cut hair for uh, a guy named Don Gutteridge. And I go, yeah, he was the first base coach for the White Sox in 59, and he wore number 39. That's unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for the, you know, and Tony Cuccinello was the third base coach, and and he was 33. And I can go pull out a program, and, and it's just, if only I could remember things that were important in my career. Like I can remember the, the 1959 go, go White Sox, man. Well, I tell you what, the, uh, the, the more visible they are too, you know, like with the coaches, if you go to a lot of games and you see them and they're always in that spot, um, totally get it. I, I think, you know, you also look at numbers, uh, well, like Hank Aaron, of course, is 44 and there couldn't be a stronger number than a double-digit number for, you know, even like Ray Nitschke was 66 with the Packers. You know, there's those double-digit numbers, Hank, 44, are awesome. It does. Hey, back on the lighter side of baseball, I might have called it on the lighter side of sports, I was a little bit flustered, hard to believe that I was flustered, but I think uh, what happened, and again, this is a pioneering effort by Craig and me, and my hat goes off to Craig. He's a professional. I'm, I'm uh, so overjoyed that Craig joins me for this uh, podcast from time to time, and hopefully weekly for a while, but anyway, um, hopefully uh, Craig is back online in segment two, and we can figure this all out. But I think we hit our 40-minute limit, which I didn't think we had. But for some reason, uh, it may have had multiple participants. I don't know. Craig, you there? I am here, ready to, uh, ready to keep rolling. All right. Well, and segment two will be even better than segment one, albeit maybe shorter. But uh, we'll watch the clock a little more closely from my end. and. Uh, well, I think what we were talking about was numbers and you were talking about why that was sort of important to you as a broadcaster, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't know how much of that. Uh, I'll just, you know, summarize uh, where, where we were getting cut off there. But, uh, you know, the Jackie Robinson Day, April 15th, um, oh, everybody yeah. in Major League Baseball wears number 42. And it, it uh, got me thinking because, you know, a few minutes to go uh, – you had made the point, you know, with me doing some play-by-play and especially at spring training or in, in the month of September when the rosters are expanded, you know, we rely on those numbers to figure out who's who sometimes. And though that one day on Jackie Robinson Day, we don't rely on number 42 because everyone's wearing it. We rely on somebody, and we don't even know who that somebody is uh, down by the dugouts that actually knows who's walking up to bat each time before they're announced, especially uh, the pinch hitters or the relief pitchers that are coming in. Uh, so that that's one of our uh, days that we don't enjoy so much actually calling the game, but it has, it has nothing to do with Jackie Robinson. I think that's a, a great day that Major League Baseball, you know, put together a long time ago to have that be the tradition, you know, across the league. So uh, 
that that was just the point I was. Uh, That's I was, a great point. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because you know you, you you don't realize when everyone's in the same uniform or in the same number how much they actually all look alike. It's pretty yeah. great. Well, that uh, and and especially the visiting team. Obviously, you need somebody to kind of uh, right give you a heads up. But the funniest thing, and I never really noticed it, but. Uh, because I was a participant in the Chicago Cubs fantasy camp, but everybody has a Cubs uh, uniform on, and you got your name on the back of the jersey. But my wife came out to, uh, uh, the, I think, the second to the last day, and Kay's looking there, and she goes, we finally, you know, she was with a, uh, the wife of a friend of mine that I was at fantasy camp with, Bruce, who's done a podcast with me before, big White Sox fan and Cub fan. Anyway, Bruce and I are at fantasy camp, and Kay said, you know, we came to the field. We looked around for you guys. There were like 140 guys that looked identical for the most part. So we took our six pack and went and played tennis. So there you I, go. I, I guarantee they had a better time than watching a bunch of old guys at fantasy camp. But. Oh my God. That's a great story, man. N nothing better than plan B for her. Exactly right. And, uh, you know, one of the nice Jersey that I have making a segue back to what we were talking about a minute ago is, I do happen to have a Brewers uh, uniform jersey or a replica of it with uh, from Jackie Robinson Day, and I I can't remember. It's signed by um, might have been signed by Ricky Weeks way back when Ricky Weeks was with the uh, oh yeah with the yeah. team. So you know how I got that. Our good buddy Nelly would always yeah come up well with yeah stuff. i mean uh, that that would have uh, made sense crossing over too in fact i think if i remember right too one of the years um the early days of uh, the jackie robinson day um i think the brewers may have had the most uh, african american players on one team wow um than the rest of the league too and i know you know ricky was playing then and uh, prince was on the team and Billy Hall, uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. Um, I know I'm probably missing another one or two, but I mean, you know, that's, uh, it's great that they have the day and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. The, the few numbers of African-American players that are in the league right now. And I know, you know, you can count the Latin players as far as that goes, um, percentages wise. Um, but it, uh, that, you know, you don't think about it till you're honoring the man who, who broke the color barrier. And then you take a closer look at the team you're covering or the team you're playing against, um, where the numbers are or aren't these days. Yeah, no, that's true. The fall off in African-Americans has always has been alarming and <coughs> excuse me, I'm healthy. I just coughed. You know, I don't have one of those buttons like you have in the booth where you feel a cough coming on and you, the old cough suppressor button. It's the old cough button. That's all it is. There you go. But the, uh, your next sponsor will help pay for that one. I know. Yeah. I'm working hard on, <laughs> I'm pretty close to Papa Kino. And, uh, as soon as we get through all this COVID-19 stuff, he'll be back in business and our, we'll be doing podcasts live from Papa Kino's. I, I'm sure of I'd that. be in on that. I'd I don't know how much that. I'm going to have to pay him, Craig, to be a sponsor, but I'll go the distance. <laughs> I'm I'm willing to, I'm I'm willing to let you take that on for the both of us. <laughs> there you go. So whenever I th you know we talk about Jackie Robinson, I feel like I got to talk about Larry Doby, don't you? I mean, 
here's a guy yeah. that was a month or two, uh, two months off from Jackie, different personalities, different capabilities in terms of their playing. But Dopey was no slouch. I mean, this guy could play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and now you may, you may know this story better than I. Was he really the, the, the first player that they thought might be able to, to handle the, the rigors and everything that, um, that Jackie, you know, they anticipated that he would go through. Was Larry the first guy uh, kind of pegged to be uh, the, the guy that Major League Baseball thought might be able to handle it first time around, or is that somebody else? No, no, no. There were a group of guys that people talked about, and Dobie was at the top of that list. And yeah. it was simply a question of Branch Rickey outdoing Bill Vec. And, gotcha, you gotcha. Know, um, Vec uh, was the guy that wanted to bring him in, and I think uh, Ricky decided he could put it in motion quicker. And, uh, you know, a couple months later, Dobie became the first African American in the in the American League, and then a fan favorite, and I, I can't say that enough, in Kansas City, Buck O'Neill was the first African-American coach. Yeah. First base with the Cubs. And, um, you know, that's a whole other podcast on Buck getting kind of hosed at the Hall of Fame by I'm not sure who, but be that as it may. So you got Jackie, you've got Larry Doby, and then, you know, You've got Buck O'Neill, three trailblazers, and I'm not sure if you could have had a better guy than Jackie. I mean, really, I, I obviously didn't know. I saw Dobie play quite a bit. I can't remember. I don't think I saw Robinson play. But uh, Dobie came over like most other washed-up guys and played a little bit with the White Sox. And um, so – I think that, uh, you know, you can't say enough good things about Robinson or his career, and um, that's a big day. And it's a great day that baseball does that. I think that there's some movement afoot for a Roberto Clemente kind of a same kind of a deal uh, yeah. with the uh, uh, Latin American influence becoming so much more widespread in baseball now. But who knows? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, <clears throat> People uh, will often talk about, you know, a bucket list of uh, people that they, if they could go back in time and have lunch with or dinner with, uh, I, I would definitely have Jackie Robinson maybe tops on my list. Just the, just the intrigue of um, how I grew up versus how, and, and I'm talking about different eras and then not only a different era than how equally or unequally, you know, people are, were treated, which is, you know, beyond my thought process, how, you know, that could have taken place for as long as it did. But, um, to have him, you know, weather all those storms and, and, um, and I know, and I know Dave Nelson, our good buddies shared a story or two about, you know, some of the storms that he's had, he had to go through too. And, uh, it's all about, you know, a lot of it's, it's about patience and, and being bigger than everybody else. And, and that's what those guys did, but he, he'd be, he'd be at the top of the list for me, I think. And then you mentioned Buck O'Neill. I was lucky enough to meet him and do an interview with him. I think maybe a year before he passed, he was still on the tour when, when the stadiums and ballparks and, and they still do today honor the Negro leagues. And, um, and he was a hoot, man. He was a ball of energy and, uh, 
you know, um, great interview, um, ambassador for the game. And, and you're right. Cause I, I heard you talk to a podcast or two before about, you know, his inclusion and not inclusion in baseball's hall of fame. And these guys deserve this stuff when they're alive. Um, and I, that, that's the other thing I don't yeah. get is, you know, time's running out on some people, folks. And, and there's some people that definitely deserve to be there. Yeah, I agree. And Buck was right up there. You know, they built a, a Buck O'Neill statue and have a Buck O'Neill award, but it's not the same as having your plaque in, in Cooperstown. And I think that that's um, too bad. As I think I've said on the podcast before, back before anybody knew who the heck Buck O'Neill was, except a few uh, select people, he was a scout for the Royals and he would sit at Rosenblatt Stadium in Omaha with his gun, his radar gun. And, uh, you know, he and my uncle who owned the team would, uh, uh, talk as long as, you know, Buck could stand talking to my uncle or if the weather was bad, my uncle drag him into the office and, and they could both talk all day, but what a, what a, what a great gentleman. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in my, in my office, it's, I've got all these pictures and a lot of great memorabilia, but people were talking about. I mean, this is so interesting, and maybe that's why we're talking about it. But I got a picture of uh, Nellie and Fergie. I got a picture of Buck O'Neill playing first base. I have a picture of Jackie sliding into home, and it's signed by Yogi Berra. And then I got a picture of Hank hitting number 715. And and there's uh, Larry Doby over my shoulder talking with Satchel. I mean, it's just, you know, for me, it's fun. Uh, Dude, you're, you're, you're lucky to have all that nearby and to see that every day. And, and, uh, just goes to show what, you know, you're a purist of the game too. And a great appreciation. That is awesome stuff. We, you know, we, um, when Hank Aaron came back to Milwaukee, uh, and decided to finish his last two seasons in Milwaukee as a brewer coming up, uh, from Atlanta, uh, wanted to finish where he started. Uh, so 1975 was the first of, uh, his two final years. And one of, one of my great memories of going to a game with my dad, we always, you know, got the dollar tickets, sat in the left field bleachers and the game that we had, I don't know, remember what the date was, but it was, it was maybe in the first month or so of the season. And, and Hank had clearly lost his home run swing, but, uh, the opportunity to go see him for the first time in person for me. Um, he happened to hit his first home run as a brewer and it, it, it came right out to us and it landed about a row or two in front of us. But, you know, big group, you know, you, you lean forward and you stretch your arm out as fast as you can, and, you know, and as far as you can. And you're hoping that ball will pop off of somebody's arm and into yours. And it didn't happen, but, the, you know, but it was right in front of us and it was significant because it was his first home run as a brewer. And, you know, my that. dad and I were there for that. And it's, you know, one of my great memories of he and I at a baseball game, if not the best one. Yeah, that's, you know, we've talked about father-son relationships and, and how we get involved in baseball and, uh, and interested in it. And I know you've, you've related that. How about the other way? What, what about you with your sons? Well, I think the one, uh, I think the one game for, well, first of all, there, there's two games and one that we, the first game that I took them to, they were little tykes. I think they were maybe four and two. They're two years apart. 
And it was one of the day games. And back then we didn't televise the day games during the week. So took him to a game and uh, got tickets right behind home plate. And the Brewers were playing the Dodgers that day. And and, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Sean Green. He hit, I think, three or four home runs for the Dodgers (laughs) against us. Yeah, I'm thinking to myself, you know, the the third one and then the fourth one. And, and, (laughs) you know, here are my kids. I can barely get them to keep their heads turned around to watch this action that's happening right in front of them in the first row. This guy's, you know, making home run history in a single game. And uh, but we had a blast and and uh, that was one of the fun ones. And then and then the one I think was the big one was uh, 2011. of course, television, a national television takes over. So uh, during the game, you know, we had a chance to sit down with some tickets and enjoy uh, game five of the NLDS, uh, the Brewers and the, and the Diamondbacks. And um, uh, Niger Morgan in the decisive okay. game five uh, brought in Carlos Gomez for the, for the walk-off RBI single and a trip to the National League Championship Series, and of course that was at Miller Park, and you know couldn't have been a better scenario. I mean, how many walk-offs do you get in the postseason that advance you to the next round? Not many. No and well, um, place went crazy, and we had a ball, and and well, we always talk about that one. What was his What was his pseudonym or whatever he called himself? Tony, didn't he? Tony Plush. Tony Plush. I knew there was. <laughs> I knew that was. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I don't even know the backstories because I think every backstory, depending upon the day, changed on how he um, assigned himself that name. That that much I do know. So it's funny, isn't it? It's funny how these guys that aren't the stars take on some pretty heavy lifting in the playoffs. Like I can remember in 1985 when the Royals uh, uh, won the World Series, the Pete LeCox, the Jose Cardinals. Uh, these guys that were, you know, not the nucleus of the team, but they were so important. And here, Niger Morgan, man, I haven't thought about him forever. Isn't that amazing? That's and great. that was that was like his um, – he had a great season with Milwaukee. I think he came on just after the season began that year, and it was, it was his one fullest, brightest, most successful season ever. Yeah, and and then and then he was uh, kind of a nobody after that, and and didn't last much longer in the majors. And he wasn't he wasn't that old. It's not like he had been around for a while. But it's amazing, you know, when certain guys like you mentioned some of those names, you know, you just don't know who's going to rise to the occasion in the postseason, and that that's what makes the postseason pretty cool. Unlike you know. In the NFL, you get in playoffs, and if your stars aren't making star plays, you're not going to win. And and same in the NBA. If your star players aren't scoring, you're not going to win. In right. baseball, it can be a little bit different, and I think there's a long history of that. Well, that's true. And, then, you know, football seems to not have a waiver wire or a trade deadline. It seems like, you know, if uh, somebody becomes available in the third week of playoffs, that you can sign them, which I can never understand, but – yeah, that's game. that's always kind of a weird. You can't make transactions after a fairly early day in the uh, in the maybe only after four or five weeks in the NFL, maybe six weeks. 
uh, you can't make transactions with other teams, but I don't know. I don't know about picking up somebody in the middle of the playoffs. Well, how, how does yeah. that work? Well, <laughs> but it does. Know, somebody releases a player and all of a sudden they can get, they get picked up by the, uh, by the Patriots or by the, uh, the chiefs or whoever. So I don't know how that works either, but yeah, it always struck me as a little strange how that could happen. But you know, that's, that is neither. Well, now what about you with the, I know you've shared some stories and stuff, but uh, as far as you, when you and your dad went to the game, what, what, what stood out for you for a game or two? Oh my God. You know, there are such great memories of all that, but uh, my dad <laughs> smoked cigars and so the smell of cigars, always I associate that with baseball. He, um, he and his father uh, were just diehard White Sox fans. And so my dad and I would hang out a lot at Comiskey Park. And occasionally if my brother, who's like 12 years older than me, uh, Steve, who listens to all these podcasts uh, uh, all the time, Steve would when he was home from school or not working, I can remember uh, going to the Twinite Light, Twinite Doubleheaders a lot. And um, we saw Bob Keegan throw a no hitter in 1957. So that's where I go back to there. I remember Ted Williams playing, but I remember, you know, my dad went to MIT, my brother went to MIT. So my dad and I didn't have a whole lot in common. I did not go to MIT. And uh, the love of baseball and, and I've said before, gin rummy were the two things we shared. And of course, um, you know, those memories, but thanks for asking because that was, uh, you know, that was one thing my dad and I, uh, you know, we'd play catch in the front yard a little bit. And again, my, like my brother, my dad was a lot older than my dad, my friend's dad's. Um, and he, he seemed really ancient back then when he really wasn't. But, um, uh, baseball was the one thing that we really shared and, uh, and it was fun and it was um, important to me. And likewise with my kids, you know, their, their introduction into baseball was probably me coaching them and their being around this guy uh, named Dave Nelson that they grew to know played baseball. And yep. so they knew Nellie before they knew what baseball was about. And, um, Again, if, if you asked all, any of my kids and my stepkids, who would you rather see come down the, 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 the lane? Would it be Santa Claus or Nellie? The hands down, Nellie. And grandkids. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. like with your kids, Nellie, uh, Nellie transcended everything that I knew about whatever you could, trans whatever you could transcend, Nellie did it. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I think that's a great comparison because – it is pretty amazing uh, to see to see the influence that he had on on kids, and it was it. You know, if you look at Santa Claus, I mean, you know, you get to sit on his lap, but that's all you get to see him when you're a kid, and, and you know, then the whole thing about the gifts and stuff. But Nelly, sure. Nelly could have been there any damn day of the week, any any year, and uh, always been there for him too. So I love that comparison because there's not a kid out there who he did not put a smile on their face. There's no question about that. So, Well, and for, for next week, I'm, I'm looking at a, a CD from our good friend, and it's dated May 7th, 2009, and it says pregame show, Emmy award-winning show. 
and I haven't played it in a long time, but uh, do you have any idea what that was? No, to be honest with you, I just, I just know that, uh, you know, the thing about that is the, the awards, um, the whole representation of, of those particular awards are handed out uh, like a year later. Right. And I know that they put in maybe a dozen shows or stories or whatever, but uh, I'd like to take a look at that too, to see what in the world we won together. We must have laughed our way through that one pretty hard to yeah. entertain people. That's all I know. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Well, I'll we had a blast. I'll, I'll preview that and maybe uh, taking our pictures and stuff. And, uh, and then he put it, I know he, he got the, uh, the wine together for a lot of uh, families and friends and stuff. And, and he was kind enough to put our, uh, our Emmy uh, picture on the, t the wine that he called the, uh, the a team. So that was our wine, the yeah. a team wine. Well, I got to tell you, I've got his Emmy in the basement here. Well, that's beautiful because I, I, may bring I it. still have mine here too. So, well, I think, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I think Nellie's belongs with you so that uh, I think that's a memory that I may have to make come true for you. And then you we can, throw, then you can do with it what you want. But my <laughs> wife's looking at me all the time. Like what? We've got a lot of Dave Nelson stuff. here. Go, yeah, you know, that's probably true. Probably. You're going to have to start weeding that out after a while too, my friend. Yes, I know. I know. And, uh, We'll see how all that goes, but um, what a blast today. You know, it, it's a fun way to spend an hour on this otherwise troubling time, Craig. I appreciate you, uh, you doing this with me, and I know everybody that listens appreciates your voice and your input. It's great. I, I well, I had a blast, and uh, you're the best to work with, and, um, and I mean that. I think, you know, it's great that you started this uh, podcast up, and, um, you know, sometimes you have an agenda and sometimes you don't, but the bottom line is is uh, just sharing some stories and, and bantering back and forth, and, um, and, you know, sometimes it's easier to do with somebody else, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's fun to do and reminisce on your own, too. So anytime you want me to be a part of it, I'm here with you. Well, I appreciate it. You know, and with no baseball games going on, we can't, you know, even though we have a friendly rivalry with the Cubs and the Brewers, some of my favorite times are, are with you and had been with Dave at Miller Park when the game's not going on or when I'm fortunate enough to have a field pass and we, you know, I've talked about before the piles of dirt that are out there that have different colors because they go in different who in the world likes that stuff besides a guy like me <laughs> and then going up to the press box and, you know, getting a hot dog and seeing Euchre fly by or Pat Hughes or whatever. It's all thrilling to a guy like me. I love it. And I appreciate the access that you've given me to Miller park. And I look forward to uh, the baseball season starting up. I look forward to a uh, little bit of wine at, at our good friend, Brian Ward's restaurant. And I look forward to some uh, Cubs, Brewers uh, games, and uh, hopefully the postseason goes well for the Brewers and the Bucks. You got that right, my friend. Let's get it rolling again. That's uh, we all need to get it rolling again. And uh, until we do, I, I guess we'll just uh, keep reminiscing and telling some stories. Right? Absolutely. They're a blast, and I appreciate it. And for uh, for me and for Craig on the lighter side of baseball, we'll be back uh, next week for another fine episode of. 
how to get past this troubling time. So thanks for listening and have a great day.